you're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo development, and everything in between. All right. So I've got on the podcast today, I have Christian Ekinus of the ArcGIS API for JavaScript team. So Christian, why don't you uh, introduce yourself real quick, uh, give me a rundown of what it is that you do, what you've been up to, and then we'll start diving into some stuff. All right. First off, thanks, Renee, for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure, always is, to hang out with you. Um, so I'm Christian. I have been at Esri for seven years, a little over seven years now, working on the JavaScript API, specifically data visualization capabilities. So projects I'm pretty involved in are things like uh, smart mapping, the renderers, any data-driven visualization that you can achieve that includes clustering, um, other forms of data aggregation. And I also work on the arcade team and how that integrates into the JavaScript API. Awesome, man. So uh, on arcade, so arcade's always really interesting, right? There's a lot of really cool stuff um, you can do with arcade and everything like that. So kind of um, for arcade side, what is kind of new with this most recent release? I think it was a 4.23. Any new features that people should be aware of? There, there was a, a, we had a small arcade update um, at, so I guess to clarify also, arcade actually does have separate releases, even though it's not really an ArcGIS product. Uh, we have release notes where we update language features and we also update uh, where arcade is used in the ArcGIS system. And so the way we define that is through profiles. So the only new thing we added um, at Arcade 117, which was included in the in the March release of ArcGIS Online and, and the JavaScript API, was a new profile called Form Calculation. And what that does is that allows you to calculate fields automatically in editing workflows when you fill out forms. So you can configure uh, a field element that has an arcade expression that calculates based off other inputs. So you don't have to enter that in manually. Oh, nice. Now, uh, a lot of products use arcade, right? So like it's, it's from pro to online to a lot of the online apps as well, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Now, so something like dashboard, if I, um, all the arcade expressions I put in my, my web map get consumed by dashboard and they will just work there. Then dashboard itself can go ahead and start doing some fun stuff with arcade as well. Correct. So that's up to anyone. That, and then anyone using an app can do pretty much the same thing or building their own apps can do the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's correct. So, um, there's, there's two aspects to arcade that I think make it really cool is, um, one is the authoring experience, of course, where you can write an arcade expression to define some kind of custom content or visualization in your app. And, uh, because we have this concept of a web map, uh, within ArcGIS online and, and throughout the ArcGIS system, uh, you can save those arcade expressions to the web map and any ArcGIS app that loads that web map will uh, interpret that expression the same way. So if I define an expression for a render in ArcGIS Online, I can load that into a custom app, web app built with the JavaScript API or any number of the Esri web apps, including dashboard or story maps, um, or also in runtime and in ArcGIS Pro. And that same visualization will work. It will un understand the same syntax. 
And so, so that's one aspect that it's really, really powerful. Uh, but of course, um, Arcade, is, as it's grown and become more prevalent, um, other apps such as Dashboard allow you to author Arcade expressions for other purposes. So Dashboard allows you to, to use Arcade for formatting uh, elements, and it also allows you to do things like build list elements and, and organize data in different ways. So it's, it's become more and more powerful over the years, for sure. Awesome. Very cool. So was there any, um, I think at Dev Summit, some stuff came up like about Arcade and some new stuff coming up. Is there anything that people can look forward to uh, with Arcade maybe by the end of the year? Oh yeah, there, there's there's actually a couple of really exciting things coming up. Um, so I, re I remember uh, presenting uh, the first uh, presentation of Arcade at Dev Summit several years ago uh, with Dave Bayer. He's one of our developers who, who works on the arcade engine. And uh, I, I can still remember one of the first questions that was asked at the session was to be able to, uh, you know, have control over their arcade expressions. So right now, um, I mentioned this concept of profiles. Basically, you can only execute arcade within the context of the profiles that we define at Esri. And you don't, we don't expose the arcade engine. We don't give you any APIs for, for running it on your own apps. But that was one of the first things that was asked was we want to be able to, uh, to basically run arcade on our own terms, define your own profile and, and run it for some other purpose. And, um, we haven't really, uh, I guess taken. Well, I mean, we we always take everyone's feedback seriously, but we haven't really looked at that closely until more recently. And so, coming this year, I think that this is an exciting feature: is we're going to be releasing developer APIs that give developers the opportunity to to execute Arcade outside of those profiles, so they can take allow users to author expressions, or they can take existing expressions on one maps and run those within their app for some other purpose. It could be to power a chart. I spoke with a user at Dev Summit this year who would like to use it for layout. He, he creates reports or generates reports for his customers and uh, would like to be able to use uh, Arcade to specify layout options such as fonts and positions and, and where images are are placed and how they're sized and and, you know, some really cool, there are some really cool use cases out there. And so that's one that's coming out. Um, hopefully by this summer, we would like to to have that public. Uh, that will also be available in runtime. So the runtime is actually releasing that this month in April um, at their next release. They're going to be exposing that. And then the other thing that's coming up that is really exciting is the is a new and improved arcade editor. So we've had this arcade editor app that you can used to play with arcade or I guess build arcade expressions and test uh, expressions in on the developer's website and also in ArcGIS Online and other ArcGIS apps. And that is getting totally rebuilt so you can have a better experience authoring expressions. So you'll be able to do things like have better, um, uh, be able to debug expressions better in the future, not not in this initial release, but in the future, you'll be able to do things like set debug points and um, 
and then also have a better IntelliSense. Actually, there is no IntelliSense in the current editor, so we'll have IntelliSense. So I, I'm really excited about those two things in particular. I'm, I'm really excited to see how our customers use them. That's very cool. I, yeah, because people will be able to drop that into their own apps and uh, build whole new experiences for maybe their users or just, I think just the like development workflow for that is going to be a real benefit for people. That's going to be really cool. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about some visualization stuff uh, you got going on here, Christian. You do a lot of work on the API for the visualization. You wrote all the guides for DataViz in the JavaScript documentation, right? In the SDK? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Uh, well, so on the DataViz side, what are some like tips you'd give people uh, that are just developers and they don't really know uh, cartography maybe very well, but they just want to make nice looking maps to go with their cool looking apps? Well, there's uh, it's hard to consolidate um, the tips into something that's just a few because everyone has a different, uh, as, as different uh, things available to them. So some people have access to ArcGIS Online, and if you have access to ArcGIS Online or Portal, then my first tip is to do as much as you can in those apps because the experience is so much better. I I usually start there. I mean, I've written a lot about how you can create beautiful visualizations in the JavaScript API just using code, but most of the time I figure out how to do that in the Map Viewer first because I can quickly, at a glance, see uh, what works and what doesn't. It will. So what the Map Viewer does is it uses smart mapping APIs, which are also developer APIs that we expose in the JavaScript API. And it uses those to suggest colors based off your background color. It will query the layers for statistics and suggest appropriate stops and breakpoints depending on what kind of visual you wanna, you wanna create. It also will even inspect the data type. So if you're mapping an integer, it will default to a graduated symbol visualization as opposed to say a color or a choropleth map, which um, doesn't really work for total counts. So the, the thinking is that if you have an integer field, it's a total count. And, and so we, we won't suggest the color initially. Uh, so it does these, these little things uh, behind the scenes that most people don't uh, aren't aware of and, and will suggest styles. So that's the number one tip I would give. However, if you don't have access to ArcGIS Online or you don't use it much, uh, we still give a lot of um, help to you in the documentation. So you mentioned the data viz guides, but things like color are really hard. People get really opinionated, opinionated about it. And so we have a, a guide where we expose all of the color ramps. You can copy and paste those into your app. Um, you can look, search by color, you can search by style or by theme, by background color that it's suggested for. And um, and then, you know, filter those, look for a, a scheme that you think works for your app, and then you can just do an easy click, copy and paste into your app. That's the that's one thing. Um, the other thing is to just, just know your data. I think far too often um, people don't take time to get to know their data. And that's extremely important when you want to visualize it. How can you possibly communicate what a data set is saying if you don't know it very well? And that's where ArcGIS Online really comes in because it helps you familiarize yourself with the data. Um, but also the smart mapping APIs are available. So you can go into our sample code and just copy and paste your service in there. Or it, even if it's a GeoJSON or CSV layer, you can go in there. And we've got a over probably a couple of dozen 
visualization samples and a lot of those are smart mapping ones too where you can query your data right there in the sandbox and and get a feel for it i think that's another thing that's really cool that maybe uh, people don't realize is that uh, when it comes to online even the javascript api and doing the data is that you aren't limited to just the feature services with the arcgis services right you can bring in the csv and geojson and what normally would just be plain maybe points on a map type of thing uh, can now take advantage of all the features you get in online or in the API to do all these really cool visualizations, right? Even the clustering works on all those data sets, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's We've taken uh, a lot of time to make sure that it that smart mapping and other feature layer capabilities work for those kinds of data sets, whether it's OGC, GeoJSON, or you know, CSV, or even another format. So you may have a service or a or that you query and it's not an ArcGIS format, but we allow you to build a client-side feature layer, uh, you know, that sets up the schema that we understand um, using that data. And then you can still use that layer and, and input it into a smart mapping function and we'll suggest a style for you. So I think it's, it's all really powerful capabilities that you can use with virtually any data set. That's cool. I mean, that, that, that's like super powerful stuff that people can get that I don't think they fully realize, um, unless, you, unless you have to use it, right? Unless you're given like a, an API or a data set that you don't know what you need to do with it, that it'll just work uh, in the uh, platform once you get in there, which is really cool. Yeah. And that's what, and the other thing is just recently, we have really focused on improving the performance of getting those statistics back from those layers. So uh, it used to be kind of a painful experience if you had a large GeoJSON layer, for example, it might take 10, 11, 12 seconds to query those stats on the client. Now it will take one second to do it, you know, for a large layer. And so most of the data sets aren't that big when it's a GeoJSON layer. So it, it'll be very fast and performant. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then um, with the visualization stuff, we got all these really cool like effects and everything you can do uh, on the data as well, right? So like if you've got imagery layers and you want to overlap that with some visualization you've got with the feature layer, we have all these um, the blend mode and stuff you can do, right? Yeah, and this is uh, this is something that I never really foresaw us doing on the web is being able to use blend modes and the um, composite modes for being able to uh, create these uh, Photoshop-like maps that you see. You, I mean, every once in a while, you see this really gorgeous map. And of course, I'm always asking myself, how did they make that map? And and I have to think about all that went into it. And, and when you talk to the person who made the map, a lot of times it involves exporting the, the initial visualization from ArcGIS Pro or some other app to um, Illustrator or Photoshop. And then they will do use these blend modes and these effects that you have available there to to make the image just really pop more. And now you can do that directly in the browser and also save it to the web map. So these other apps that I that we've been talking about can also render the same effects um, in in their environments. So a really, really important question for you, Christian. Is there ever <laughs> enough bloom in a map? Oh boy. <laughs> you know how to push my buttons, Renee. So Bloom is one of those where um, it's it's very flashy. 
and it and it looks gorgeous. I'm not going to deny that. It does look gorgeous. Uh, a lot of times, I think it is. It's really great for things like marketing materials because it's eye catching and people are drawn to it. It's sexy, right? So <laughs> it's like it's good for those things. But I. I oftentimes think it's excessive <laughs> in the, when people use it. I feel like it's a little too bright, and I think there is a, a there there is a sweet spot with it where you can use it. And I and I have used it, believe it or not, Renee. And I I do find it useful uh, in certain situations. And I do actually write about that in the data viz guides when when you can use it for say visualizing a lot of points, um, but. You also have to be, and this is true of any visualization style or technique. You just got to be really careful with how you use it. Just because you see it work in one layer doesn't mean it's going to work with another data set. Like polygon data should never be bloomed, in my opinion. It's just it's just too bright, overwhelming. But points on lines can look really, really nice if you do it well. So, yeah, you can have too much bloom. <laughs> I suppose it's kind of like a, like a writing style, right? I mean, you you can run your uh, paragraph through a thesaurus and get all these new words and stuff. It doesn't really improve the communication uh, the way you think it would. And the same could happen with visualization, right? You start adding all of these, every feature under the roof, and all of a sudden you've got this overly uh, exaggerated representation of your map, and you're completely overriding what you're trying to communicate with the map at that point, right? So... Well, I mean, and I think that it can be okay at times because everyone's like, it depends on your audience, right? Everyone's a little different. So I like that you related it to writing styles. For example, some people love short blogs or short posts that take, you know, just a couple of minutes to skim through and read. And that's great. If you know me, Renee, I like to write really long, comprehensive blog posts, and that's because I like to I like to set up um, the context of why uh, this topic is important, where it applies, and then I like to get into the weeds of how you can um, implement something or 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 create a certain visualization. Because a lot of times I feel that writing or blogs gloss over details that are actually quite important when it comes to um, applying it to your own data. And so I wanna, my my goal is to make sure that nobody misunderstands how to do something. And that will result in a very long post. And for some people that's a turnoff and I understand that and that's and that's fine. But for other people, it's extremely helpful. They, they will get into it deeply. And that's the same is true of a visualization. Like you can do a complex multivariate visual and it will be, super fascinating to digest and and it will take time to to kind of go through it and to understand um hidden gems or storylines that you wouldn't otherwise see but for you know a lot of people it's if if they can't understand it within a few seconds of their intention span then it doesn't work and and they're that both i think it's totally valid it just kind of depends on your audience and how you present it <laughs> oh it's amazing i love it but all right, Chris, so the, I don't want to take too much time away from you here, but I do want to ask if you've got anything for listeners out there that maybe you would like them to take away, uh, things you might uh, want them to look at to get to learn some more about uh, visual, visualizing with the API or the platform in general. Um, I guess two things that I would th say to take away is one is to to be patient with yourself, practice, 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 because... 
there's really no substitute for that, for um, trying new things. And the, and the reality is that most of the things we try when we try to visualize don't work. It just doesn't look good. It's either ugly, it it's mis misrepresents the data, but you never really know until you try it. And so don't be afraid to dive in and, and take some time to try new things. And I know people's time is precious, so that's uh, that can be a challenge at times, but um, if you if something really matters to you and you want to make sure it looks good, um, make sure that that you take uh, some t some time to to try new things. And the second thing is to don't shy away from getting feedback from other people. I still, I mean, I I don't think I can really hang my hat on anything I've created and say this was totally mine because. A, it was probably inspired by somebody else in the first place, and B, I got lots of feedback from people. And and sure, some of that feedback contradicts each other, but that's where it's nice and you can take your creative license and, and say, yeah, Renee's feedback was good, it contradicts Jeremy's feedback, and I think Jeremy's feedback is more valid than Renee's. <laughs> so, Usually um, the case. Well, not not necessarily, but you know, that's just as an example. I I try to seek out multiple viewpoints on a visual, also when I write about them and to see how it's presented. And a lot of times, people are opinionated and they and they think that something really doesn't work. And I take that feedback seriously. And and to not and I guess just to have some thick skin too, because sometimes the feedback may be you could take it personally. I think that's natural, but ultimately. Um, I think if someone is uh, uh, confident enough to give you honest feedback, that shows that they care, and you should take that seriously. So those are the two things: is to to be patient, don't be afraid to try new things, and to also seek out feedback um, consistently, no matter how far along you are in your career or how long you've been doing it. Oh, that's awesome! Well, thank you, Christian. I appreciate your time. Uh, hope to get you back on here at some point in the future as well, too. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. The pleasure's mine, Renee. Thank you for listening to the Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.